Father in heaven, you are good. And your mercy endures forever. Truly, Lord, it's not the labors of our hands that could fulfill the demands that could meet your standard. But in your grace and your mercy, you reach down to us. You took on the debt that we could never pay. You paid that debt for us with your own blood. Lord Jesus, thank you. God, thank you that we have the privilege to sing the gospel, to sing of the truths of your holy word. Lord, now that we have sung these sacred truths, we turn our attention to reading straight from your text. This text that you have preserved, that you yourself perfected as you passed it on to human authors, guiding every note and every letter and every stroke of every quill. Lord, thank you for preserving this word. Would you speak to us, Spirit, from your word this morning? God, I I know that as I stand here, I am unworthy, I am unable. There's nothing that I can do. There are no words that I could say to compel the gospel forward. It's only by your power. It's only by your mercy. But would you show us your mercy once again this morning? Speak to us. Teach us. Comfort us. Challenge us. Motivate us, Lord, and empower us by your Spirit to live out the gospel. We love you, Lord. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to you, God, our Father in heaven. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible with you this week, and I hope that you do, please take it and turn once again to the book of Galatians, to the book of Galatians. If you didn't happen to bring your own copy of God's Word with you, there's one in the back of the pew in front of you that you are free to borrow. Or if you don't have one at home, please take that as our gift to you, and we will replenish it. We have others, but just know that that is our gift to you, and you can take that home and read it as the Lord lays it upon your heart. We are in Galatians again this week, and so that is in the New Testament. You have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts and Romans, First and Second Corinthians, and then we get to my favorite little section, the General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. If I don't say it, I can't find it, so we're in the general part of the General Electric Power Company, Galatians. So last week we read through the rest of chapter 2, and this week we're actually going to go back a little bit and pick up in verse 15. Then we're going to move forward into chapter 3. So we'll be reading Galatians chapter 2, verse 15, through chapter 3, verse 6. I will read for us, and I would ask, if you are physically able, would you please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. I will read for us. When I draw to a conclusion, I will say this is the word of the Lord. I encourage you to respond with a hearty thanks be to God. Let's look together now at the word of the Lord, Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. We also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. And not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, 
we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We continue in our study of this letter that Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the churches that he helped start in the Roman province in the region of Galatia. And so as we looked at this letter, every step of the way, the Holy Spirit has led Paul to intricately weave his arguments in and out of his very fiery, very passionate text towards the Galatians. So as we started, I just want us to look back and see the argument that Paul has made up until this point, ever so subtly, ever so subliminally, until he reaches this place where he begins to shift and talk about something a little bit different. So we started off in chapter 1, and we noted how Paul is very much fiery and passionate because he doesn't give a flowery greeting. He doesn't say, oh, I thank God for you and your faith. He just moves right into the matters at hand and hits them right there in verses 3 and 4. He gives them the grace, the regular greeting, and then boom, verse 4, who gave himself, Jesus Christ, who gave himself For our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Right from verse 4, the essence of the gospel is woven into this letter. So Paul's beginning as he starts is, here is the gospel. What he's talking against is what was a common problem for Paul. He would go into a region, he would start churches, he would teach the truth of the gospel, and then false teachers would come in behind him and teach just a slightly altered version of the gospel that Paul just taught and preached and established in those churches. So when Paul begins to follow through in chapter 1, he's astonished that they're turning to these other gospels. He begins to address that there is no other gospel. There is only faith alone In Christ alone for salvation, by God's grace, through faith in Christ, that is the only way to be saved. As he establishes that gospel truth again, he continues through chapter 1, and we talked a lot about him setting up his pedigree. Remember they they called him a plagiarist? 
They said he was a false apostle. So through the rest of chapter 1 and into chapter 2, he establishes his credibility as an apostle. He says, no, 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 nobody taught me this gospel but Jesus Christ himself. He goes into the desert, remember, and spends time with Jesus. So he is a full-fledged apostle, unnaturally born as it may be, but fully an apostle. Well, then what we looked at last week is what Paul is setting up as a dichotomy, all right? That just means a spectrum where there's one thing on one side and something drastically different on the other. So when we look at chapter 2, from verses 1 through 10, what we see is an example of Paul setting up what it looks like to follow Christ and be legalistic. To follow Christ and be legalistic. On one end of the spectrum, in verses 1 through 10 of chapter 2, Paul describes what it is to be a legalist. So what he's describing is having the right behavior for the wrong belief. That's the essence of what it means to be a legalist. This is something that you and I, if you have grown up in church, probably have struggled with. We have the right behavior, but it's for the wrong motivation. We come to church because our parents always came to church. We have the right behavior, but we're doing it based out of the wrong belief. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, when he gets to verses 11 through 14, he talks about how over here we have hypocrisy. Remember how Peter got his belief right. The apostle Peter believed correctly, but behaved incorrectly. Hypocrisy is when we begin to hold others to a standard we're not living ourselves. And so the last couple of weeks, without using these specific terms, these are the two extremes that we have talked about. This is not proper gospel living. You believe in the gospel, so you do not become a legalist after believing in the gospel. You believe in the gospel, and then you don't become a hypocrite where you believe the right things, but behave however you want. You don't behave exactly the right way without believing that salvation is only by grace through faith. So neither of these options are correct. So what are we to do? How do we live in this world without becoming a hypocrite or without becoming a legalist? Because personally, it feels like we'd be walking on a tightrope. It feels like that we'd be being on a balance beam all all of our life. I don't want to be too hypocritical. I don't want to be too legalistic. How do we find this healthy balance. That's what Paul dives into, and that's why we had to go back and look at this pivotal verse in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I want us to look at this. This is a verse, if ever there was a good verse to memorize, this is a verse to put to memory. This is where the pivot happens, and Paul begins to explain and describe to us how we are to live in the gospel without being a hypocrite and without being a legalist. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul says that it's not just that God saves us. It's that at the moment we believe, the Holy Spirit enters into us. And it is no longer we who are living. It is the Holy Spirit, Christ, living in us and through us. And so this goes back to what we talked about with J.D. Greer, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He teaches his church repetitively that the gospel is not just the diving board off of which you jump into Christianity. The gospel is the diving board and the pool. 
If you want to walk in the gospel, we have to grow deeper into the gospel. The gospel is not step one of Christianity, and then you dig into deeper, more difficult doctrines as you grow in your faith. The gospel is the essence of the faith in Jesus Christ. And so it's not just that God has saved us, but it's that God lives through us. You see, this is something that we've talked about before. Daryl Robinson shared this with Jason Gunter. Jason Gunter taught it to me. It's the most simple and straightforward way of understanding how the Bible presents the gospel and living in the gospel. You see, when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are immediately in that moment freed from the penalty of sin. But it is not as though the Lord says, well, now you're freed from the penalty of sin, but you got to figure out life on your own. Sadly, that's how we live. Most of us who've been walking with the Lord for a long time, we forget that the gospel is not just the power to save us from the penalty of sin. It is the power for us to live for Christ. We think, all right, I got saved and now my righteousness being in in a right state with the Lord is up to me. That's how the Galatians believed. That's what Paul is writing against. And that is how you and I tend to live. We're drawn towards this legalistic nature of I'm going to behave correctly because it all hinges on me. If you'll remember a few sermons back, we talked about uh, a summation of Catholic belief. Our Catholic brothers and sisters, there are those who believe that when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, it erases original sin. It erases the sin nature that we inherited from Adam and Eve. But then keeping the scales balanced for the rest of your life is up to you. It's up to me. That God forgives us of our sin, but from that point on, we have to go and confess to a priest, we have to do penance, we have to do what we can to stay in God's good graces. Now, we may not say it out loud, but oftentimes, that's how we live. That's how the Galatians were living. They were living as though it depended upon them to continue to be righteous before the Lord. But Paul says, it's not me living anymore. You don't have to be a legalist where you say, i got to do everything just right. And if I don't do everything just right, God's not going to love me anymore. I sinned today. God must hate me. And by the same token, we can't end up over in this camp and say, ah, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to teach and preach the gospel and teach and preach morality from the Bible. But I, I'm, I'm not going to live. It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter how I live. What matters is Christ living in us and through us. You see, when we're saved, we're saved from the penalty of sin. But we are also being saved from the power of sin. There's these fancy church words we use for it. Justification is being saved from the penalty of sin. Just as if I had never sinned. But then sanctification is the process by which from that moment on for the rest of your life, you and I are set apart for God. We become more and more godly throughout our life. But even that doesn't depend upon me. And the Galatians forgot that. Look with me as Paul continues. When he starts in verse 1, when he says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Folks, this is the most righteous of rebukes. 
We don't know how to handle this kind of stuff today, especially like at the ballpark, you know. A coach can't give a child a righteous rebuke anymore. J.B. Phillips interprets this Greek as to say, you idiots! Now look, that's a little bit strong, but it's straight in the Greek. It's not a cuss word, it's not that serious, but it is a derogatory kind of a term that a coach might use for a player to go, hey, get back in the game! Anybody ever watched Remember the Titans? Like, have you, just give me, come on. You, I know I put you to sleep with a lot of doctrine. Wake up. Raise your hand if you've seen Remember the Titans. Appreciate that, Michael Barton. Thank you, guys. All right. Where I grew up in Pleasant Grove, if ever there was a substitute, their go-to plan was to play Remember the Titans. So not a day passed by in my high school career where I didn't at least hear Remember the Titans playing as I walked down the hall. So I have most every line from the movie memorized. And there's this one spot where Petey is carrying the ball and he fumbles. And you remember, Coach, he says, you're killing me, Petey. You're killing me. How many feet are in a mile? How many feet are in a mile? 5,280 feet. Throws the ball down. You pick this ball up and you run every one of them. You're killing me. Folks. I just want to submit to you that this is Paul's version of Denzel Washington. Galatians, you're killing me. What are you doing? You started off right. Somebody tricked you. I would also just like to throw, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but the only reason I know how many feet are in a mile is because I know the quote from that movie. So if you ever ask me how many feet are in a mile, just know that in my mind I'm going 5,280 feet. 5,280 feet. That's how many feet are in a mile. That's right. Listen, some people are learning by books. Some people learn by watching movies. I'm just the latter of the two. That's who I am. I've been working on it for years. Can't change it. This is how Paul is talking to the Galatians. You're killing me. What's going on? And he's trying to inspire them and push them forward. This is why there was no flowery greeting. He says, who betrayed you? Who turned you away? It was right in front of your eyes that Jesus Christ was portrayed as crucified. So let me ask you this, Galatians. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith. Folks, what Paul describes in the rest of these verses is that the Holy Spirit not only comes to us to live through us, but it happens through our faith. Well, how do I live the Christian life without being a legalist or without being a hypocrite? Have faith. Believe even deeper. You see, some of the roots of our sin are actually tied to unbelief. We begin to believe it's not that big of a deal to sin because we begin to doubt that God is real, that the gospel is true, that what we do and what we say will matter. And when we begin to doubt, even subconsciously, maybe we don't ever even say it to ourselves, but if we're struggling and we're lying and we're gossiping and we're lusting and we're looking at things online, we ought not to look at. We're looking at men and women we ought not to look at. We're being filled with rage and anger and malice and we're erupting at our families and our friends. And we have all of this sin pent up within us. We give way to the power of that sin because we forget the gospel, because we stop believing that it is real. We begin to doubt that Jesus really did die for us and that Jesus really has given us the power to conquer sin through the Holy Spirit by hearing, by faith. Romans ten seventeen says that faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ. If we want to live a life that follows after the example of Christ. We can't just follow the American dream of picking ourselves up by our bootstraps and we will make ourselves righteous. And I'll get two jobs and I'll work twice as hard and I'll provide all the money that I need for my family and I'll work myself to the bone and I'll climb my way to the top of the ladder. That is the American dream, but it is not the gospel. 
You can't make enough good things happen to fulfill the law. You can't do enough bad things to where all of a sudden you're just magically a Christian because grace covers it all. The only way to live in the middle, the only way to live for the kingdom, for the gospel, is to believe deeper. And Paul's example is that you guys didn't do anything to get the Holy Spirit. There's actually not an example in Scripture of people going through a ceremony or a ritual to receive the Holy Spirit. You know, we talked about Acts chapter 10, right? We talked last week about how Peter has his pigs in the blanket dream, right? I didn't get very much on it last week. I just thought I'd throw it out there again. There were pigs in a blanket that was lowered down to Peter. Nothing again this week. Okay, just making sure. I thought it was funny both weeks in a row, but you guys are good. I, I got it. All right, I'll change, change the jokes up a little bit. But Peter has this dream and all these unclean animals are lowered, right? He goes to the house of this Gentile and they believe in the gospel. And the confirmation that they believe in the gospel is when they begin to speak in tongues the same way that it happened on Pentecost. So that Peter knows beyond the shadow of a doubt that the gospel is for the Gentiles because the sign that accompanied them receiving the Holy Spirit accompanied these Gentiles receiving the Holy Spirit also. The same thing happens when the Galatians believe. They receive the Holy Spirit. Folks, it's not some sacred ritual where all the Galatians gathered together and said, Holy Spirit, come! Holy Spirit, come! Holy Spirit here! Holy Spirit now! Holy, holy, holy. You, you can't get the Holy Spirit that way, okay? You can't tear your clothes or cut your arm. You can't gouge out your eye and say, Oh God, Father, I offer thee mine eye that you might give me the Spirit's eye. That doesn't work. You can't do anything to get the Spirit. The Spirit comes upon us when we believe. And that's exemplified over and over and over again in Scripture. But you know we're in a Southern Baptist church. And as Christians in general, we don't really know what to do with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit ends up being on a spectrum, just like what we just talked about. We have us, the Southern Baptists, on this end of the spectrum, where we go, hmm, I don't really know what to do with that Holy Spirit stuff, but I see people doing a lot of crazy stuff over there. I don't want to really be a part of all that crazy stuff, so we won't really pay attention to the Holy Spirit. Our Trinity ends up being God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. We just forget that this Spirit exists altogether. But then over here, you got people who are going absolutely berserk. They're having concerts and, and, and rallies and ministers are standing up and waving their arms and people are falling out in the spirit. I've talked to people who've gone up for some of the healing services that are not true. And they stand up there and the, the man puts his hand on the guy's head and he talks about how he said, Lord, I will let you do whatever you want to do to me when this man lays his hand on my head. I will submit to your will. If you make me take off my clothes and run around in my underwear, I'll do it, Lord. Spirit, you move. But I just want to commit to you, Lord, I'm not about to let this man push me over. And so he stands up on the stage. The man lays his hand on his head. And as he prays, he gets more intense. And he talks about how he feels the man pushing. And so he said, I told you, I ain't going to let that man push me over. So he pushed back. And so he didn't go anywhere. And after a few minutes, the man mutters something to him and he walks off the stage. Folks, there are gross misuses and misnomers of the Holy Spirit all throughout certain charismatic movements. Now, there are some people who are charismatic and the Spirit moves in a very specific way. And that is true and that is real. But there are also a bunch of snake oil sellers. 
And that's one extreme of the Holy Spirit. People faking experiences with the Holy Spirit. The other extreme is us over here going, I'm kind of scared of that. What, what if the Holy Spirit makes me do something weird? Like, what if I have to go talk to somebody and like share the gospel? Or, or somebody that, you know, like has wronged me. I gotta go and, and repent and be humble and apologize. <laughs> We're scared of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is the power by which God enables us to live in the gospel. It's not about what I can do. It's about the Holy Spirit at work in and through me. I want you to imagine that our situation as Christians is a broken down car. And when you turn that key, you know exactly what the problem is. Because all you hear is click, 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 nothing. You know the battery's dead. Well, then you come to find out the alternator's dead, and the starting wheel, the starter wheel is uh, completely worn flat. It doesn't catch. The, the motor won't turn over. It's not as though God fixes everything in our car. New alternator, new starter, new battery, everything that we need, and then says, good luck, have fun. He puts gas in the car too, y'all. Guess what? If you fix all those things in the car and you ain't got no fuel, you're not going anywhere. And a bunch of us are Christians who got everything wrong with our engine fixed, but we've cut off the Holy Spirit so that we don't have any fuel in the tank. We're rescued from the penalty of sin. And by God's Spirit, we are rescued from the power of sin by the Holy Spirit coming into us. And we gain more of the Holy Spirit by believing more in the gospel. It's not about doing more. It's not about doing less. It's about believing more. And when we are captivated in our belief, the Holy Spirit fills us and moves us to do things. And we have confidence, not arrogance and not self-loathing. But we have gospel confidence because we believe that it's real Because we trust in the gospel and we go deeper in the gospel. Folks, I just remember singing this hymn when I was young. And and maybe y'all sung it too. And I I don't know, maybe up until this week I didn't really realize what the lyrics were about. But it it turns out that it's talking about this very thing. Maybe you're familiar with, oh, four a thousand tongues to sing. So it's a wonderful hymn. It's a very traditional hymn. I've sung it countless times. David Crowder made a, a revamp of it and put a little chorus in there with it too. I've sung that version. But when you get to verse 4, when you get to the fourth stanza, I just, I just want us to read it together. Look with me at the fourth stanza. I don't have it on the screen. I'm sorry. Fourth stanza of oh, oh, 4,000 Tongues to Sing. He, being Jesus, breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoners free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. Folks, I've sung that more times than I know how to count. And every time I've thought, oh, okay, how cool. He breaks the power of canceled sin. I was in sin. He broke the power of it. That's good. But I ignored the word canceled. You see, it's not enough for us just to believe that God canceled our sin debt at the cross. That's not where it stops. He canceled the sin, but he also breaks the power of the sin that he already canceled. We are saved from the penalty of sin, death, and eternal separation from God and heaven. And we're also in the process of being freed from the power of sin. 
that's happening in the life of every believer. It's not just that the debt was canceled. It's that the debt was canceled and the power of the canceled sin no longer applies to anyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, we've been singing it for years. And it's just been right there in front of my face. But I don't know about you guys. I I don't like to believe. Maybe not consciously. Maybe I don't say this out loud. But I don't like to believe that the Lord is the one who saves me and then is doing good work through me. I, I like to take that back to myself. I, I, do, I do some pretty good things sometimes. I, 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 make, I make some good decisions. This reminds me of my niece. She, she was staying with my mom and my grandmother for the first few years of her life. And my grandmother is going to tell you about Jesus every minute of every day. And every good thing that you ever do, my grandmother would say, oh, praise Jesus, that's so good. If she made a meal that was exquisite, which every meal she makes is exquisite, you'd say, Ma, that's the best you've ever made. That's fantastic. I loved it. She said, oh, I just prayed Jesus would make it good, and he made it good. Just praise the Lord for it. Won't take credit for a thing. Well, one time my niece, when she was, I don't know, maybe four, three years old, she colored a picture really well, really pretty, and she said, Maul, look what I drew. And Maul said, oh, Belle, that's so great. Jesus gave you such a good talent. And Belle, who hears this every day for four years, goes, Jesus, 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 Maul, sometimes I does things on my own. It's funny, but isn't that me? Isn't that you? Lord, you saved me, but Jesus, 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 I does some things on my own, Lord. I'm not half bad. And with every thought, we move further into this legalistic state because from this point, from this legalism, I can now look and I can say, I does more stuff than Jenny. And I sound just that childish because I've taken responsibility for my righteousness. And my responsibility to my righteousness is to believe in the gospel to go deeper into the truth that God saved me and it's God's power doing anything good through me and that one day if we maintain our faith and strive for Him that there will be a day we'll be freed from the very presence of sin as well. Folks, can you imagine a world where nobody is inhibited by their pride, by their anger, by their malice, by their lust, by their tongue, by their lies, by the the gossip, by the slander, A world without sin. Jesus is there, and that's the best part. But just imagine a new heaven and a new earth without the presence of sin. Nobody's going to lie to you. Nobody's going to do something underhanded or dirty for selfish ambition. This is what God is preparing us for. He is the one breaking the power of sin in our lives now to prepare us to be sin-free in His presence one day. Folks, it's time that we stop acting like sin doesn't matter while we cast judgment on others who sin. It's time that we stop acting like everything that we do is the most important thing. And anybody that doesn't follow every rule is going to hell in a handbasket. It's time that we, as a church, believe in the gospel. Believe that through the blood of Jesus, we are saved from the penalty that we rightly deserve. And through the blood of Jesus, we are filled with the Holy Spirit, which is the power to break the sin that He's already canceled in our lives. And this morning, I, I just confess to you, I sound a lot like my niece. I, I go this way quite a bit. 
I fight real hard against that hypocrisy stuff. I'm not perfect at it. But I fall in this camp quite a bit. This is the pharisaical camp that most of us are trained very well to grow up in when we grow up in church. And somewhere along the line, we begin to decide, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I do some of these things on my own, Lord. God, help us that we might remember that anything good that we're doing is the power of His Spirit within us. There's no ritual. There's no ceremony. There's no certain action. It's just belief in the Gospel, which leads to filling of the Spirit, which breaks the power of the canceled sin in our lives. And so we live in the Gospel. This morning, I don't know where you are. I don't know where you stand. I don't know what you're struggling with. But I wonder if maybe you find yourself on one or the other end of these spectrums. I wonder if maybe you've been living a life of hypocrisy and you just act like your sin doesn't matter and you still call out sin in other people's lives. Maybe not even out loud, just in your own mind, in your own heart. Maybe you've been struggling like me over here to be more legalistic and I've got to follow every rule because my righteousness depends on me. Maybe this morning you've never trusted in Jesus and you're still sitting under the penalty of sin. We talked about it in the Sunday school lesson. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God, available to whosoever will believe, is eternal life. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted and believed that this gospel is true, that we are sinners and we are rebels, but God made a way for us, I encourage you to come down front and take Jake or myself by the hand and say, I want to trust in Jesus. This morning, maybe you're struggling to believe in the gospel and trust that it is the Spirit giving us the power to remove sin from our lives. Maybe you need to come down front and pray and say, Hey, Lord, I am sorry that I have lived legalistically. I am sorry that I have been a hypocrite or somewhere in between both. And say, Lord, help me believe. Remember in Mark, that man said, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. That's my prayer this morning. Maybe it's your prayer. The further we believe in the gospel, the more rooted we'll be in the Spirit. Is that you this morning? I'm going to pray for us, and Jason's going to come and lead us in another song. After I pray, I encourage you to stand and respond as the Spirit leads. If that means you want to come down and talk about membership, or come down and repent, come down and pray, come down and accept Christ. After I pray, you respond as the Lord leads. Let's bow together. Father in heaven, we thank you. That you didn't stop at saving us. You didn't stop at erasing the penalty of the sin. But Lord, you also broke the power of sin in our lives. God, help us to remember that we are completely dependent upon you like newborn babies. There's no, We can't even lift our own heads, Lord. We need the Gospel. We need you spirit to fill us and keep us in the middle of your will living out the truth of the gospel help us to run from being legalistic or pharisaical help us to run from being hypocritical like the example we saw in peter lord help us to no longer live but move out of the way that you might live in us and through us we might be crucified with you. 
And Lord, if anyone here has never taken that step to say, I want to give my life over to Christ, Father, would you move on their heart this morning that they might trust in you fully and completely? We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ.